uh, when I was in seventh grade, uh, I was going from PE class to our uh, band class, and we had a rock band class, which is amazing in seventh grade. Um, and we got into the rock class. Now, a little context: uh, this band class is at the time in the early '90s. There was a there was a deodorant commercial. Some of you remember this called Sure Sure Stick. Remember Sure? Anyone wear Sure? No, you're not going to own it. Okay, you did. Okay, there you go. No, that's good. Uh, I do. I speed stick. Okay, public confession. Uh, but there was a Sure commercial that, if you remember this, they would be on the the train or they'd be walking down the sidewalk and, and they would ask are you sure and people would go yes I'm sure you know or and, and hold up their arms and go like yes I'm sure and it's like really that is the strangest thing if somebody walked up to you on the sidewalk and said are you sure and you went yeah I'm sure I'm absolutely sure so going from band class to or going from PE to band class I hadn't realized that the full weight of puberty had taken its final uh, toll on my body and I'm sitting there and for whatever reason what got into my seventh grade mind is I yelled across the room to Morgan Peterson and I said hey Morgan are you sure and I raised my hands up high in the air and he looks and he laughs and he says no no you are not sure and I look down, sure enough, to find that there's these massive pit rings right here on both sides, and I'm just mortified. <laughs> and realized in that moment what I once was sure of, I no longer was that sure of. Now, here's what's interesting. I, I find, and I think you've found too, that, that the older we get... That isn't it true? Some of the things that we were once so sure of, so confident about, that we're no longer that sure of or that confident about. I, I think of a few things along the lines of maybe it's in the area of financial security. And as you're starting out, you're going to have financial security or achieve financial freedom. And then you're going to make it. But then all of a sudden the stock market crashes or the, you know, the global economy is just so turbulent. And now you're not so sure about financial security and whether that'll ever be a reality. You started out maybe secure about your job and like, hey, you know what? I'm going to make it one day and I'm going to get this and I'm going to climb the corporate ladder. I'm going to have X, Y, and Z. But then along the way, you realize, you know, I'm just not so sure about that anymore. And you hit some setbacks and you hit some things that cause you to question whether you'd be sure about it. Maybe it's your health. And you know, you start out and you're so sure that, no, we're going to be healthy and it's good. But then maybe it was a, your own, but it might have been a friend or a relative, maybe a mom, a dad, a brother, and where their health just began to go and you were well, not so sure, didn't have the confidence. See, it's, isn't it interesting that what we started out so oftentimes so confident and so sure of, it, it begins to be this slippery thing that gets through our fingers, doesn't it? think about relationships. And for some, you are dating that guy or dating that girl, and you're so sure of your future together, and then now you're not so sure. In fact, you're actually confident of the opposite because they left you or they cheated on you, or maybe it's with that, your mate. 
And you're so sure on the day where you stood at the altar and said, I do of the life and the bliss and the hopes and the dreams. And now you're just not so sure you can handle it anymore. See, the question is, are you sure? Or, or maybe better yet, what are you confident of? I mean, now, today, because life happens. Well, what's interesting is then we got to move into our spiritual life, don't we? What are you sure about your relationship with God? What are you sure about? What are you confident about? You know, for the last few weeks, we've been talking about uh, this series, Unnoticed Grace, what's true of you that you never knew. Uh, said that God wants something for you more than he wants something from you, that you have a God who's for you. But how can you be sure God is for you? You ever thought about that? I know you have. Or, or you better yet, the second part of that, you know, for, not from, as a result, from, not for, that, that you come from a place of blessing. Because God's for you, you live from blessing, from approval, from significance, from acceptance, not for. But have you ever wondered, well, how can I be, how can I be really sure? How can I have the confidence to move forward in that? It's interesting, if you ask people about God, if you ask people about eternity, you ask people about the big questions in life, we, we tend to have a lot of assurance. Do you know in America, 74% of people believe in God? 81% of people believe in an afterlife. Of those 81, 72% believe in heaven. And 64% believe they will go to heaven. And the question is, how can I be really sure? I mean, how can I have confidence? I mean, if heaven's for real, if God's for real, how can I have confidence in salvation? This morning, I believe God wants to give you confidence. In fact, I, I, I got to have some conversations with some people afterwards. And from, from the beginning stages of faith to those who have been in the faith even longer than, maybe not longer, but almost as long as I've been alive. They're like, God, that's what I needed. And I think this is what you needed too. If you got your Bibles, would you open them up to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13? We're going to be talking about this idea of confidence. The last few weeks, we, we unpacked that you're chosen in Christ. That these are true about you. That you've been adopted into the family of God. That's true about you. That you are redeemed, bought back. That you have been forgiven fully and finally. And this morning, we want to answer the question, well, how can you be sure of that? More importantly, God wants to answer that question for you because he knows that's the question on your soul in the midst of this, in the midst of even this series, but in the midst of life. That's your question. How can I be sure? The Apostle Paul writes in the book of Ephesians uh, this. He says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, uh, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. 
Now, I, I believe in this passage, there's three really critical questions that, that we often ask around what are we confident of in regards to our relationship with God, in regards to salvation? What are, can we be sure of? The first is, uh, according to this, the Bible, how do you become a Christian? How do you experience salvation? The second is, well, how do you know you're truly saved? And the third is this question around, um, well, what happens about those who walk away from God? Yeah, I believe right here we find the answers to all three of those. Let's start with the first one. How do you become a Christian? Uh, in your notes there, there's some blanks, and it says, uh, this is uh, what it means, uh, is God made it simple, is the blank. We tend to complicate it. When we're talking about becoming a Christian, we're talking about salvation. He said this, there's two parts to stepping into a relationship with God. And it's so simple. So simple that my kids can get it and young kids can get it. And, and yet we tend to really complicate it and add all kinds of hoops and steps. You see it right here in the text. It says, and you also were included in Christ. How? Two ways. Check it out. When you heard the the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and then when you believed. The first step of experiencing a relationship with God is, is hearing the gospel. Now circle that word salvation, because we don't like the word, but, but this is actually the human pursuit. Uh, this is a, a pursuit of our soul. In fact, wh whether you're a believer or not believer, sociologists attest to this. This isn't my definition of salvation. In fact, this is a non-Christian definition of salvation, a secular definition. Salvation uh, answers the question or the problem of death and the meaning of life. Those are the two big problems that we face as a people that we need saving, that we wrestle with. This is the human condition. Salvation answers the problem of death. And it's a problem. It's a problem for all of us because it's going to happen to all of us. There's a 100% guarantee so far that you're going to die. Welcome to church. Be encouraged. I hope you have a great Sunday. But we know this. But here's what's problematic about it, because it actually negates all of our pursuits. Because if you can't take what you have with you, and if what you're building ultimately is a sandcastle just simply to be washed away, why even build at all? The problem of death is connected then to the meaning of life. Why am I here? What's my purpose? This is what the God of the universe came to answer. The gospel simply, simply means good news. The good news about what? Salvation, the problem of death, the meaning of life. Notice what the apostle Paul says here. The first thing is hear the gospel. How do you become a Christian? You simply have to hear the good news that God has made a way, a solution around our greatest problem, the problem of death, the meaning of life. Romans 10, 14 says this. He says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, now I just want to suggest something for those of us who consider ourselves followers of Jesus. 
Because today we've adopted a way of following Jesus and maybe a way of sharing the gospel that doesn't actually share good news. For people to respond to the greatest news this planet has ever experienced, the first step is they have to hear it. And the church, we generally go between one of two extremes. All deeds, all works, good things, which are very, very good, but we don't say anything, or all words, and we shout at people. And yet our lives don't match up. See, it's not just doing good things. It's also sharing the good news. It's both. My prayer, and I was praying for you, by the way, um, this week. I just got overwhelmed by it. I was praying for us as a church. I was praying for you that, that we wouldn't be a church that's just about gathering on Sunday. And, and it just, it overwhelmed me this week, honestly, guys. I just, I just began to have my heart break that we would be a community that cared less about what people thought and cared more for, for them hearing the good news of God's love for them. That, that we wouldn't just go, okay, it's just about a Sunday deal and we enjoy that and it's good music and the guy is entertaining, at least passionate, and I need some passion in my life, so okay, I'll do that. But where we'd be a community that's constantly extending the grace and hope of Jesus to those around us. That's why we do missional communities, by the way. It's the center for us as a church that we would live on mission, that you would gather in communities and and begin to wrestle with what does it mean to follow Jesus and how to live that out in your spheres of influence and where God has placed you. Uh, In our missional community, I shared a few weeks ago, the way we're wrestling with this and living this out is we have this acronym. We call it, how are we going to bless those who are far from God? B-L-E-S no second S, and it really bothers Andre. Um, And so I'm kind of keeping just one S just because it bothers him. (laughs) Sorry. But this is how we're trying. And I love my missional community, by the way. We're just growing and learning, and we're sharing uh, about how to do this imperfectly. But the be and blessed is just simply be present. If we have a God who's for us, you know how he revealed he was for us? Because he was with us. If we're going to be for those who are far from God, we have to be with them. Present. And that is one of the most valuable commodities on the planet Earth. And it's diminishing quickly. And you know why? Because we live distracted, hurried lives. And everything's more important where I'm going to pull out my phone and check whatever's happening here. I would never pull out a book in the middle of conversation with you, but I'll pull out my phone and check whatever's happening here. Be present with those that be. Listen to the Spirit of God is the L. Just as you're being present, go, God, if, if you're doing something here, I want to have your eyes. I want to see what's going on here. I, would you speak to me? Would you show me what's happening? And, and he'll show you. He'll begin to share with you in such ways where like, hey, oh, by the way, I've had it where God, I accidentally asked a question, didn't know what it was, and it opens a whole new doorway. The E is eat with. Because there's something incredibly powerful about sharing a meal with someone. 
There's something that God does. I don't know how it works in our human soul that when we share a meal, we get connected on a deeper level. In fact, if you read Jesus, you can just begin to, or the gospels and see about Jesus. He ate all kinds of meals with religious and non-religious alike. And then the S is just simply share. Share if God opens up an opportunity. And here's what we're doing in our missional community, and it's not perfect. And this last Wednesday, we're just going around sharing. And what I loved is as we shared, some people were talking about, well, this was really hard for me. And I'm like, yes, it's really hard for me. And just hearing how God's using and working and how being intentional. But how do you become a follower of Jesus? How do you experience new life? How do you experience salvation? First, you've got to hear there's good news. You don't know there's good news until you hear about the news. The second side of that then is you have to believe in Jesus. I know, you're like, okay, thank you very much. For those of you who've been around the block, you're like, mm. all right, huh, I have, uh, thank you. Yeah, God made it simple. We make it complicated. God made it so simple that a five-year-old can understand, embrace, and respond and yet, for some reason, we're not satisfied, and so we have to complicate it. Believe in Jesus. But let's, let's unpack the idea of belief, because I think we've kind of hijacked that word. The Greek word there is pistis. Uh, and and the, the word here means to entrust oneself uh, with complete confidence. It, it means to consider something to be true and therefore worthy of trust. It's complete trust and reliance upon. Uh, in a little bit earlier in Romans chapter 10, Paul says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and if you're taking notes, go ahead and circle Jesus is Lord there, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? The problem of death, the meaning of life. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Now, the problem is when we use the word belief, we have multiple meanings for it. And actually, uh, Michael Novak gave what he calls categories of convictions. And I think those are really accurate, and we need to kind of pinpoint on, on this whole idea of belief, because we generally take this concept of belief and, and make it intellectual assent. And that's actually not what the Bible's talking about here. Michael Novak says there's three categories of conviction. The first is a public conviction. Uh, public conviction is what I say I believe. It's what I want you to think of me. It's the public persona that I put on, and so I'm, if I'm with a certain group, I may be more for the environment, because they're more for the environment. You ever done that? No, of course you haven't. Uh, but you, you may be with someone who's more political in a certain way, and you not maybe all that political, and all of a sudden, you put up this public persona. I'm more political in this way. It's this public posturing of what image management, of what you want others to think about you, of what you think they want to think about you. In fact, it often changes between different groups, and whether it's at church, and you might have what I want church people to think about me, but then when I'm at school, what I want school people, or maybe we're at work, and you have these public personas that you present, and these are your public convictions, and they change with the different crowds you're in. But then you move on to your private convictions. And if public conviction is what I say I believe, private conviction is what I think I believe. These are the things that we truly think we believe, but, but they shift when something happens. 
Let me give you an example. Um, I have a general conviction and a private conviction. I thought it was a really strong stance, actually, because I hate styrofoam. Anybody hate styrofoam? I hate it. If I see styrofoam, I think it's of the devil. And uh, yes. Uh, and, and I kind of think of myself, I'm like, God loves his environment, and I want to be environmentally sound. And yet, I move to a creature of comfort. And if, if I'm at some place and they don't have recycling, I feel a twinge of guilt. But I don't keep my recycling and put it in my car because I'd get my car messy. And I just put it in the trash and go, well, that sucks. That's, that's honestly my response. This morning, here's, here's an honest confession. I didn't want to do dishes, and so I ate on a paper plate. <laughs> I know. I know. Now, I can argue we're in a drought, okay? I'm trying to save water, okay? Thank you very much. Private convictions are what we think we believe. It seems real to us, but when circumstances shift so does our belief. This happens with people with God all the time, doesn't it? I hear this. I actually, as a pastor, I get to sit with this. I believe in God, or you believe, oh yeah, I'm all about God, and then your circumstances shift, and you're like, there is no God. Huh. That's interesting. Public conviction, what I say I believe. Private conviction, what I think I believe. Core conviction is what I really believe revealed by my actions. See, your behavior always reveals what you truly believe. How you're actually living reveals at the core. You want to know what you believe? Study you for a week. Look at how you spend your money. Look at how you spend your time. Look at how you talk. Look at all the things. And you go, okay, that, that reveals what you truly believe. Go back to Romans 10, if you will right there. Believe in Jesus. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Now, this statement doesn't take us, like, kind of back in our culture, but this took the original audience uh, maybe even off guard. This was a staggering statement, uh, because the book of Romans, or the letter of Romans, was written to the church in where? Anybody help me out? Rome, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, just, I mean, we're doing some great Bible study skills right there. Rome was the capital city of what empire? The Roman Empire. Okay, thank you very much. We're doing good. All right, you're almost with me. The emperor of the Roman Empire dwelled where? In Rome. Okay, I, you guys are going like, wow. Now think about this. Paul is writing to the church in Rome living under the rule of the Caesar of the Roman Empire, the most powerful man in the world. And the affirmation that every person under the dominion of Caesar had to say, not was like, hey, this is a nice idea, or not, uh, had to say, is Caesar is Lord. And to assess, assert that anyone or anything else is Lord was treason and worthy of death. 
death. And so when the Apostle Paul says this to the church in Rome that is right there in the backyard under the rule, not just of Caesar of Rome, of like, hey, we're in this distant province, province in the heart of the empire, he says this, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, that he is sovereign. Well, how in the world would you have the courage to say that in the face of knowing that I'm going to lose my life if I declare that? Well, you must believe something, right? You must have a confidence. See, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, think about this. The most powerful man on the planet, Caesar. And you have this group called the Way. These followers of Jesus who are declaring Jesus to be master, to be sovereign. That, that this carpenter turned rabbi who lived in the obscure part of the empire who was executed on a Roman cross, come on, who was executed on a Roman cross came back to life, meaning that Rome's power had no authority. See, it's not just like, yeah, Jesus is Lord. No, 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 no. See, to believe and what it meant here for the New Testament Christians was I'm going to put my whole weight on. I'm putting all of me. And here's what we do in the church, and this is why some of you are here this morning, is because for your Christian life, it's like this. You're kind of leaning against Jesus. You haven't put your full weight in Jesus. In fact, you've grown up in the church and you wouldn't say Jesus is Lord. You would say, you know what? My circumstances is Lord. You know what? My work is Lord. You know what? My own desires are Lord. And I'm just going to lean into Jesus as a support. And to believe in Jesus is to say, no, 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 no. Jesus is Lord no matter what the cost. And you know why? Because he defeated death. Our greatest problem in salvation is the problem of death and the meaning of life, and we have a Savior. The good news is that He defeated death, and so as a result, I have new life, and I'm going to take my full weight and place it in Jesus. And so what that means when you believe in Jesus is means your behavior follows your belief. Where you go, okay, have your way. That's what it means, follower of Jesus. That's why I actually don't like using the word Christian because it gets hijacked all the time. We're followers. We're follow, we follow Jesus. What do you say? I'll do. Where do you go? I'll go. Full weight. See, how do you become a Christian? It's simple. We make it complicated. You've got to hear the good news. God loves you. He's for you. He sent his son to die for you. He defeated our greatest problem in death, came back to life, and has given us meaning in Christ. Believe. Place your full weight, trust in Jesus. And then the second question, how do you become a Christian, is then how do you know you're really saved? I mean, isn't that what you wrestle with at times? Well, how do I know I'm really saved, Ryan? Notice back in the text, Ephesians 1, when you believe, circle the word believe for me, you were marked. Circle the word mark and then draw like maybe you can draw a line or you can draw like a loop, just make them connected. 
and I, Steve and I talk about this all the time, is I'm so grateful that our, the New Testament wasn't written in English. English is the most obscure, strange, and really, I'm sorry, I'm going to say this, but kind of a worthless language. It is not a technical language. Um, and Greek is an extremely technical language. And uh, this little connection here, believe and you are marked, is what grammarians call the coincidence aorist, meaning that these two happen in coincidence, that they simultaneously happen in the construction of the Greek, that you don't believe and then one day, someday you're marked, you don't believe and then there's just this gestation process and, you know, maybe you might get it if you kind of behave your way. You believe and then you're marked in Him, marked in Him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit. Now, what, what does a deposit do? Guaranteeing. You want to have confidence? This deposit guarantees our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. You're blank under. So the moment you believe, you receive the Holy Spirit of God. How do you know you're saved? The Spirit of God's in you. How can you have confidence? The Spirit of God's in you. The Apostle Paul would say it this way in Romans 8, a couple chapters earlier than what we've been looking at. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. This is the truth of the Christian life. It is not somehow behavior modification and you somehow try to work and try to coerce and externally behave right, but internally you know the thoughts and you know the intentions of your heart. It says, I'm going to put my spirit inside of you to give you brand new life so that you can walk in a new reality of life. That is the hope of the now with the spirit of God in you. The Holy Spirit is our deposit. That word, it's a down payment installment. It's the first installment. We know what a deposit is. Anyone who's bought a house had to put a deposit down. In this area, a big one. Said, by the way, what's to come is so good. It pales in comparison, but I'm going to deposit my spirit in you now so that you can be confident of what's to come. Let me just cover a few things that the Holy Spirit does for the follower of Jesus, for the believer, so you can have confidence the Spirit of God is in you. The first thing is the, the Spirit comforts us, brings peace. Romans 15, 13. Now, this is incredible because I've been in two polar opposite situations as a pastor. I've been in a place where people have grieved the loss of a loved one who is far from God. And they were angry and there's pain and there's hurt and there's hopelessness. And I've also been in a hospital with people who knew Jesus. And in the midst of their pain, there was this comfort and solace that they had that, 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 that can only be described as the peace that, that transcends all understanding. You have the Spirit of God who comes to comfort you in your time of need. You have the Spirit of God who convicts us, John 16, 7 through 11. Now, there's a massive difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation is a general assessment that you're bad. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. That's how the beginning of Romans 8 begins. Condemnation is this, you are bad and there is no good. The Spirit does not bring condemnation. It brings conviction, real specific Hey, this area, this area is not in line with who God is and how you've been made to be. This area, 
I, I remember Garvey recently came to know Jesus. Uh, this is a few number of years back. Didn't about 19 years old. Didn't grow up in the church. Had no background. Didn't know the Bible at all. You know, didn't have any concept of it. And we just started meeting and talking. And in one uh, conversation, he's like, "So Ryan, I had something weird happen." I said, okay, what was it? So I was throwing this party because that's what he did. He was the life of the party and he had this, you know, um, great house and he's throwing this party and drinking all kinds of stuff. And he's like, I, there's something about it. And I, I went to go put on the movie and we'll just for sake of um, kids, it was an adult movie. Um, and it's like, this is so weird. There's something in me. I just didn't want that. I've never experienced that before. What is that about? Like, it just kind of grossed me out. I'm like, I just don't want to do that. And I said, Garvey, that's because the Spirit of God is in you. And he changes our desires and brings convictions that we might experience what's life and fully life. Have you experienced this conviction of the Spirit? The Spirit of God brings counsel and wisdom. John 14, 25 through 26. This whole idea that he is the great counselor and give you wisdom. Have you ever been in the place where you're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. God, would you show me? And all of a sudden, he's like, wow. Oftentimes, we don't give him credit in those things. Like, huh, I, I just must have, you know, ate a good lunch or something. <laughs> huh. Or you're praying to God, I desperately need wisdom. If anyone likes wisdom, he'll show you. And then he brings the right person, the right circumstance. Like, oh, my gosh. Have you experienced the counsel of God? He illuminates God's word, John 16, 34. Have you ever been in his word? And I get it that not every time is like this, and not every time is going to be like, whoa, amazing, whoa, God, right? But, but you have where you go, whoa. Uh, I, that, uh, feels like God was just speaking to me. I mean, his words, like it says, the word of God's living and active, well, seemed like it was coming off the pages for me. I never understood God's word before. It says the Spirit of God illuminates God's word to us. He gives us spiritual gifts. In fact, the guys who set up this morning, it's so great to watch in their, their, their service because they're here extra early. It's dark, it's cold, and there's all these guys, and they have joy. Like I, I drove up and I felt bad because I needed to, I, wa- I needed to finish this, but I was, felt bad I wanted to serve them. And they're just like, no, they had such joy because they had the spiritual gift of service and they're using their gifts and they're experiencing God's joy and we're experiencing their blessing as a result. And God empowers, and we're going to talk about that X18 next week real specifically and how he longs to empower you to live a radically new life. In fact, the Apostle Peter said it this way, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. How do you know you're saved? Because the moment you receive, believed you received the Spirit of God. Let me ask you, you know, just real honestly, I don't mean to pry but if you go down that list and you just go like, I, I, you can't point back to a time where, okay, I experienced the comfort of God. I experienced the conviction of the Spirit, the counsel, the, the God's Word. Well, if you've experienced that, you can go, no, 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 that's true. I'm in Christ. There's a reality we'll talk a little bit next week. Yeah, you can quench the Spirit of God in your life. But you can go, you can know with confidence, I'm, I'm a part of the family of God. How do you become a Christian? God made it simple. We make it complicated. Hear, believe. How do you know you're fully saved? The moment you believe, you receive the Spirit of God. Now the big question. What about those who walk, who've walked away from God? 
And whether it's a friend, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's you. And honestly, I think the biggest question for many, uh, not for all, but for many is just, what about me? Because there's times when I feel like I've walked away. There's times when I've doubted. What about my doubt, you know? Because I don't have this uh, belief that's strong all the time. When I doubt, what happens? Does it shift? Is it over? You know, when, when I did, I know the spirit convicted, but I went the wrong way. I willfully chose it. Am I out? Notice back in our Ephesians text, if you would, and you can flip back. When you believe, you are marked in him with a, notice the word, seal. You are sealed by the spirit of God. The security for the believer is in the sealing of the spirit. Now, the Apostle Paul, he is more emphatic in uh, 2 Corinthians. And, and I want to read this and just have you notice who's doing the action in the text. Who's doing the work? Take note. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 22 says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Who's doing the work? Help me out, come on. God. God's doing the work. Who sealed you? Did you? No. Listen, could you do anything to earn your salvation? No. Who did the work on the cross? Certainly not you. Why, why would you think you could do something to lose your salvation? If he's done the sealing, how can you unseal it? In fact, in the ancient day, there's three core uh, realities around this idea of being sealed. The first was one of authenticity. Uh, because the owner would show up and whether he would seal his property, he might seal a document for safe travel somewhere. He might um, even seal different possessions that he has on his property. But the signet, almost like, you know, you know how you brand um, cattle? It's a little bit of a similar concept in our day. But, but the signet lined up there and saying, no, no, this is authentically God's. It's his. He's put his seal of approval on you. Then as a result, the seal primary function was one of security. Not just authenticity, but security. That no one could break that seal except for the owner. When you sealed your property, it was set aside until the one who had the proper seal returned to it. And then thirdly, finally, it was in the area of ownership. See, and Paul would say, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. We talked about that last week, this whole idea of being redeemed. But you're God's. You're his. I have a buddy, um, his name's, well, we'll call him Steve because that's his name. Um, he, I've known him ever since I was in fourth grade. He's actually my longest living friend. Not that I have any dead friends. But we, we went to school together. We played high school volleyball together. We ended up going to college and playing college volleyball together. 
We both set out from college to go into ministry and to serve. Uh, he's one of the most gifted guys I've ever been around. I mean, he, he's just contagious. I, he's one of those life of the party guys that when you're around him, you just love being around him. And it's just like, oh man, he's amazing. Uh, I watched God use his life so many different times. And uh, after college, he w- went back home and... Uh, and ended up going through a really, really hard time of life. In fact, it had a marriage just fall apart. And for about four years, didn't even know where he was. I mean, couldn't get a hold of him. I mean, like, calling his parents, mentors, none of us knew where Steve was. I mean, this is my, my best friend. I don't have very many best friends. I'm not like those extroverts that have, like, thousands of best friends like my wife. I, I, I just have a few. I got to see Steve on uh, Friday and he came down to play volleyball with us. The last few years, he has come back to Christ. Has a beautiful wife, kid, heart for ministry. Now let me ask you a question. In those four years, if Steve died away from God, would he be saved? See, the answer goes back to for your own personal life. Now, the issue is I can't really answer it for you because I don't know you. But have you experienced the Holy Spirit's work in you? Comfort, convicted, counsel, illuminate, spirit. You know the Spirit of God is in you so you can have confidence I got to walk closely enough with him that I had confidence. You got to see that indeed, yes, he's safe. So what am I confident of? I am confident of there's nothing you can do that can undo what God has done. I'm 100% confident. that Jesus would say it this way about the Spirit of God. He said, I'll ask the Father and he will give you another advocate uh, who will never leave you. He's the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. Well, guess what? Jesus said it. He promised. And if he came back to life, then his promise is good. He told you that the Spirit of God would what? Never leave you. It's not based, by the way, it's not based on your faithfulness. It's based on his It's not based on your work. It's based on His. Too many of you, I'm sorry, I just got to stop. Too many are you live in such turmoil and shame and you just would, oh, the freedom that you would experience when you stop questioning and doubting and you just go, I'm His. What a joy, what a delight. I'm secure. Imagine how you would live in freedom, how you'd be able to love people after that. There's nothing you can do that can undo what God has done. I'm confident that what God began, he will complete. Philippians 1, 6 is, 6 is a verse that I have clung to. I have clung to. And being sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And NIV would say it this way, and being confident. I got to tell you that in my journey with Christ, there's many times where I just cling to that truth and go, God, you began this in me and so you're going to complete it and I don't fully get it and I, I feel so far from you right now. 
And I honestly feel like a mess up and I honestly feel like a failure and I honestly feel like how could you ever love me or use me? But I'm clinging to the promise that what you began, you will complete. And some of you just simply need to cling to that truth in this moment and go, okay, God, I'm not letting go. Psalm 63 says, in a dry and weary land where there is no water, my soul clings to God. And some of you just, you're in a place of clinging and that's your truth. God, what you began, you will complete. What I'm confident of is that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So let me ask you the same question that we began with. What are you confident of? And as we close... What are you sure of? You know? And come on. Maybe you've been in the Christian world, but you would identify that you're actually more practically an atheist, one who believes in God yet lives lives as if he does not exist. And today's the day where you say, okay... I I intellectually said Jesus is my Savior, but I'm not trusting Him for my eternal life, let alone my daily life, and I'm going to put my full weight into Him. And this is that's your call today. That you would say, okay, I've honestly been going through the motions. For others, you have a God who loved you so much. That, that not only came to save you, but wanted to give you the confidence and the assurance that you are secure. Would you step into that relationship today? And if that's where you're at, I just want to pray for you. And if you've never started a relationship with God, would you just pray after me? And would you guys just mind praying with me? I'm going to invite the band to come up. And if you want to begin a, a relationship with God, if you want to step into new life, where the Spirit of God will come in and live and dwell inside of you, bringing new life. I just invite you to pray real simply after me. Dear God, I need you. I believe that you love me. I believe that you came for me, that you pursue me. I believe that you died for me, defeating my greatest problem, death, and that you rose again to new life, that I might have life. Today, I put my full weight, I mean, I give you all of me, and I don't even fully know what all that means, but I give you all of me. Would you come into my life and make me new? And the promise of Scripture is when you believe you are marked.